Welcome to the Leadership Network Podcast. Leadership Network is a community of multipliers who gather to collaborate, innovate, and pursue what God has next for His church. Our mission is to champion healthy growth that is capable of reproducing. Thank you for joining this conversation, and here's today's episode. Y'all, what's going on? What's going on? This is Myron, Jay, Jennifer, Church Next. Hey, if this is your first time, we have one goal. We want to see your church grow and not only see it grow, we want to see it grow healthily. And not only healthily, we want to see it reproduce. We want to see it multiply. Uh, This next series is going to be one that you're going to remember. Um, We are dipping our toes into something that we think is very, very valuable, very, very important. We're going to be doing a whole series called Business may missional i don't know about you but tithes and offerings are going like this right people are leaving church people don't even care about church and so it causes us to ask the question what should we do as practitioners what should we do as leaders and i just thought to kick this series off i have a friend dr brooks he really needs no introduction but for the sake of introduction i want to introduce him he is uh one of the co-founders of brown venture group you better go check that out i think it's a cutting edge way that we're we're diving into to black and brown communities, helping to elevate the voice of, of people who don't have a voice. And I'm just so thankful that you're here, man. How you doing, bro? I'm great. I'm, I'm grateful to be here as well. So thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's going to be super dope, man. And, and we're just looking forward to, to jumping in this conversation. We need you guys to take copious notes. In <laughs> fact, go ahead and follow Lead Net or follow Church Next, the Church Next show to um get a grasp on kind of what we we digging into. So Jay, why don't you go ahead and kick us off? Absolutely. Um, Again, welcome Chris Brooks to our show. Thank you for being here with us today. I'm very excited to um, have this conversation today because earlier, um, my pastor from The Edge, um, Pastor Troy Evans or PE, he um, described you as a beast and he seldomly uses that word to describe people. So I know that we're in for a treat today because I trust his word when he calls somebody a beast. So I'm excited to hear why. So let's start off at the most logical place to start. Why don't you tell us a bit about who you are, what you do and your journey to it? So special shout out to Pastor Troy. What's up, brother? Uh, let me let me jump into it. I think I'm going to start at the very beginning because I actually think in this case, context matters. So my mother is a Jamaican immigrant who came to the United States in the mid 60s. Um, she was recruited by some Christian missionaries to come to a Bible college that at the time was housed inside of the University of Minnesota. Uh, my father is a tough guy and a foster kid from Iowa, a uh, wrestler. He came to the University of Minnesota at the same time they met. Uh, they planned to marry in 1967, the year of the Loving Act, when it finally became legal to marry interracially in America. Although it was uh, not legal across the nation, it was legal to marry interracially in the state of Minnesota. Uh, so when my parents, excited to get married, went to their pastor to propose that, their pastor said to them, I will not marry you. You're going to have spotted kids, and that's an abomination unto the Lord. So they went down the mm. street and got married at a different church. And that, uh, I believe that story, both my mother coming from sort of like international um, poverty, my father coming from foster care in rural American poverty, and then sort of like the racism of the church. All of that is deeply embedded in my root system and has driven me to pursue theological degrees, a doctor of theology degree, and to really start what I'm doing. And what I'm involved in right now is I'm a co-founder and managing partner at Brown Venture Group, a venture capital firm 
specifically focused at providing access to capital to entrepreneurs of color who have not had access to capital. That is awesome. That's so awesome. And so um, as you were speaking about church experiences and really, you know, the foundation of where you came from, your parents and things like that. um, What about your personal church experiences? Tell us about that. How did you come to know the Lord and how did you end up being uh, Dr. Brooks? I'm going to throw out a little nugget for y'all. Write this down. God doesn't cause it all, but he can use it all if you let Come on. So that little racist church that my parents uh, were not able to be married in for some mind-blowing reason, my parents actually raised me and my two sisters in that church. They went down the street and got married at a different church and then returned to that little racist church, and we got raised in it. Mm. And I was raised in a very conservative form of Christianity, doctrinally, from a practice perspective. Um, you know, it was also a very strict form of, of Christianity. So we were in church, you know, all the time, summer camp, VBS, all the things, And so your boy grew up like super Christian as a kid. um, And I somewhat maintained that all the way through high school. Uh, As I grew a little bit older, um, I got involved in several other things, but the church has always been a central part of who I am. Um, I don't know how much of this will go into sort of like the rough years that Dr. Brooks had, but, you know, even, even coming out of those experiences, um, knowing that my learning that my church was racist I still went and got an undergraduate degree in biblical studies and theology. I have a doctor of theology degree. I'm an ordained pastor, have been since the year 2000. Uh, I've performed a couple dozen weddings. Uh, so I am, I am deeply embedded in this thing called American Christianity. And, and, I, and I love certain parts of that. And I think certain parts of it are a false religion. So let's get into it. That's my kind of guy. So, Myron, I'm just letting you know we got to have him back. I know, I know. It's my guy. That's why we. That's why he's here, man. We got to have a part two about that whole false religion part. You know, I, I, <laughs> because that is so. Oh my God, yeah. Um, I'm not going to get into that because that will open up another can of worms. You but know we can um, open it up, though. That's what we're here for. That's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Dr. Brooks, so um, the church is at an intersection of irrelevance and innovation. What do you see as um, the future or what's on the horizon for uh, the church as it pertains to this intersection that we're currently in? The way you describe the intersection is really interesting to me. Um, I think one of the things that I hope every listener to this podcast recognizes is that the American church is not a monolith, right? There's the black church, there's the Latino church, there's the multiracial church, there's the white-led multiracial church and the black-led multiracial church, there's the white church, there's the conservative white church, the liberal white church. Uh, I think part of what needs to happen in America is we need to disaggregate the church. Right. Mm. When we talk about the church with a big C, it's almost a joke because it's church is the the Protestant Reformation is the church split that never stops splitting. Right. So so we have this multiplicity of churches and theologies. And, you know, my mother's from Jamaica, the most missionary country per capita in the world. And you would not believe that the multiple iterations of missionary theology that my mother digested growing up. Because, you know, the Mennonites would come and do their thing. Then the Assemblies of God folks would come and do their Pentecostal thing. Then the Baptists would come and, and talk about how wrong the Pentecostals were that came the week before. Then the Catholics would come, you know, and do the thing. 
And I think when we talk about the American church, we almost have to have like multiple different narratives. Now, again, we're all part of the body of Christ. So it's true that, you know, we're all part of the body of Christ, but I think there are actually multiple narratives underneath the meta narrative of the American church. And some of those um, sort of like minor, not minor, some of the, some of the smaller parts of the body of Christ, they're killing it. Right. My church where I go to sanctuary covenant church in North Minneapolis, multi-ethnic black led, we're killing it. Mm. Right. But you know, I, I can't say the same about several other churches in our metro area that, you know, are co- convincing their parishioners to come to church strapped on Sunday mornings. Wow. You know, Chris, uh, like three things you just said, you talked about disaggregating the church and that there's like multiple narratives. So unpack that a little bit and then tell us um, what sanctuary is actually doing, because I think a lot of times we we create gold standards for churches in America that are actually creating trauma um, in America. And I think this this overall conversation really does have to do with our topic, but unpack this aggregating the church, multiple narratives, and then talk to us a little bit about sanctuary. Yeah. So um, when we talk about the church, right, um, you could be in a room of 100 Christians and there could be 100 different iterations of the church in the room. Right. I do this one workshop called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, talking about the rise of multi-ethnicity and multiracial children in the United States. You never know who's in the room. Mm. You might be looking at five white passing kids talking to them about white stuff and none of them identify as white. Like you just don't know. Right. Right. So the same is true of the church, right? If I was in the room with 10 white Christians, you didn't have some from ultra conservative perspectives, some from ultra liberal perspectives, some in the middle. And I think to have an intelligent conversation about the next iteration of the church in America, we've got to have some sub conversations, almost like focus groups, where we get the real talk from each one of those subcategories. And then we sift and sort and we say, okay, so this is where this percentage of the body of Christ seems to be going. This is where that percentage of the body of Christ seems to be going, you know, and then don't even get me into like the black church, right? Like the black church, people would question the black church's discipleship methodology, its discipleship effectiveness. I mean, but who's critiquing it? Folks from outside mm-hmm. the community who don't understand the power of a village community. So mm-hmm. that's what I'll say about that. At Sanctuary in North Minneapolis, um, again, it was founded by Reverend Dr. Ephraim Smith, one of my very best friends. I'm a founding member. I've been around the entire time. I've served on the elder board in the youth ministry, the children's ministry. Sanctuary has taken an approach of being a Black-centered, multi-ethnic church. And I can't say that enough times, right? We have a Black leader. We're in a predominantly Black neighborhood, which means that we are Black-centered. Now, there's all kinds of non-Black folks that come to our church, but we're Black-centered. So when we think about mission, um, we think about being Black-centered. And what does that mean in our local parish, 55411 and 55412? Um, we're on Broadway and Lindale. The police call the corner that our church sits on the worst corner in the city of Minneapolis because we share our church parking lot with a liquor store where like the pimping and, you know, all the hypodermic needles and all the things, right? Mm-hmm. You, to, to be a church like Sanctuary, you have to embrace incarnational, um, very like localized presence-based ministry. So, you know, our staff at our church, when they walk out into the community, you know, that we would traditionally kind of call the hood, People know their names, right? Like, they're not just like these folks that show up on Sunday. And, you know, I I regularly see my senior pastor, Reverend Edrin Williams, who I'll give another shout out to. Uh, First, I want to honor my pastor. Um, So, (laughs) you know, Reverend Reverend Edrin Williams, I mean, I've regularly walked up to um, him having conversations with folks in the parking lot at Merwin's, just like chopping it up, right? Like, that's what we do. 
And right. do we have programs? Yes. Do we have community groups? Yes. Do we have all these other things, worship ministry? Yeah, we have it all. But if you peel all that back away, right? Like you have to understand your parish and be in relationship with the people in your parish. I, I know you're, you're using some, some, some terms that I want to point us to before I, before I go into my next question. But over the last couple of years, I've heard you talk about biblical justice. Um, and I, I know you've, You've actually you're going to be coming out with a book. I saw you post that post that again. Like, what does biblical justice have to do with funding the mission of God? What's what's the intersection? Why does that matter? So I'm going to I'm going to um, give you all write this one down, too. So when I was in my doctoral dissertation program, um, one of the things I had to do, actually two of the things I had to do, I had to come up with a brand new proprietary definition of the word justice a word I have tattooed in Hebrew on my right bicep um, and a, a brand new proprietary definition of um, the term biblical justice, which I believe I coined, like I'll never be able to prove that. I probably can't take credit, but um, that's been my mission for, for about 20 years. So justice in my definition is replacing human suffering with human flourishing. And there's all kinds of religions and institutions and societies and nonprofits that do that thing. Biblical justice is replacing human suffering with human flourishing in Jesus' name. So what's the difference between the two? Where do you get the power and who gets the credit? Mm. Biblical justice, when done properly, always points to the power of God and always gives Jesus the credit for whatever justice occurred. And that's the kind of justice that has led me to co-found and lead Brown, co-lead Brown Venture Group. Um, I just believe that it is against God's will for folks of color and women to lack access to capital. I think it's against God's wow. will. I think God is angry at the world economy right now. Wow. Listen, y'all, I, I, I'm so glad he said that because I know y'all, a lot of y'all may be scratching your head like, what in the world? I thought I was tuning into a series called Business Made Missional. And here's, here's what we realized. The world is becoming more urban and the world is becoming more diverse. And so how we think about finances, how we think about stewarding God's, God's mission becomes very, very much of a priority. And so when 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 Dr. Brooks talks about Brown Ventures, we may see that something as separate in the kingdom of God when actually it's not. I think it is God raising up this new expression of the kingdom so that black and brown people don't get left out. So talk to us a little bit about Brown Ventures. What is God doing? How did it get founded? And where are you at today? So let me, let me give you um, one point of clarification, right? You said the world is becoming more diverse. Bro, the, the statistics right now is that the world's 90% non-white and 50% women, right? The world been diverse. Wow. It's just that dominant culture doesn't want us to believe it's as diverse as it is. And wow. if you capital flows around the global economy, you- Correct me then, correct me then, doc. Doc, correct me in hey, front we're of thousands of people. Go hey, ahead. We're family, we're family, right? We're family. It's true. Um, so, so when we think about those types of statistics, the obvious question, the question we asked when we founded this venture capital firm is, so if the world's 90% non-white around there and 50% women around there, how is it that 90 to 95% of the capital in a $70 trillion venture capital economy only goes to white men? It just didn't make no wow. sense. Right. Wow. Um, when we did our research, we found that black women in, in America, black women were the highly, most highly educated, most investment ready group of human beings in America. They were getting like wow. 0.0006% of the venture funding. 
So one of the conclusions we came to very rapidly was this is not business. These decisions wow. are not business decisions. These are racial decisions, like wow. these are prejudice decisions, bias. Mm -hmm. uh, so we built our firm and our model in some ways to attempt to bypass racial bias and, and racial and gender discounting. Um, and we yeah. did those things because we recognize that once we get capital into the hands of women entrepreneurs and, and entrepreneurs of color, businesses take off, more humans flourish. Uh, it's just a more just way to think about the economy. And again, getting back to my theological position, I think it's God's will. Mm. Absolutely. And in a world which is so diverse, you know, you have all different kinds of people, different kinds of churches, different kinds of missions as well. Um, me, myself, being a missionary to America, um, that's sometimes looked upon as, oh, America needs a missionary. Um, so there's all different um, kinds of mission. Um, and you speak about investment as a mission. Can you unpack that a little bit more for us and explain to us um, what that means and what does it look like in 2022? So first of all, Jade, I'm just going to say, like, you're a missionary to America? Uh, I, I, I now have all kinds of my own questions and I got like 80,000 people I want you to meet. But um, no, I think when we think about investment as mission, the way that I would describe it, I mean, we are trying to figure out how does Jesus get back the credibility he has lost through this white supremacist Christian ideology, right? Like you take the word Christian or any form of the word evangelical into the hood and people are going to spit on you, kick you. And when they're doing that, whether we want to own it or not, they're doing that to Jesus, right? They're like, this, dude, this Jesus can't be real. Like, he doesn't even care about brown folks. Mm -hmm. um, so part of the reason that there are now new, arising multiple different ways of thinking about mission is because the one we've been using is broken, right? The stand on a corner and preach, throw tracks at people, um, you know, expect people to show up at your building, but never go out and kick it with them in the hood. Like, that stuff just isn't working. It isn't working. And, you know, we don't, I know we don't need to go political. I don't intend to go political, but the past several years have been brutal on American Christianity. Um, and those who already believed a wide variety of ultra conservative things have doubled down. And those who had any skepticism, they're out. They're like, I always knew this was bull crap and I'm out. Mm -hmm. And me loving Jesus Christ, I'm like, I just refuse to allow that to be the narrative that sticks around, right? I'm, whatever it takes, I'm going to do whatever I can to help people see the true Jesus and understand how much he loves them. And in my world right now, that's raising and deploying capital and helping businesses succeed that employ people and bring economic hope back to communities. Like, that's my iteration of Christian mission right now. And I can't think I would do it any other way at this moment in American history. It, the rest of the narrative is just too messed up. Wow. And so in what ways do you see the church being able to invest in the on underserved communities right now in what ways are you know un unconventional ways um you know we're in a time of innovation of where we need to start thinking outside of the box so in what ways do you see it happening right now some good examples or in the future how can you see churches doing that so i i think language really matters when i was an undergraduate professor i started every single class by defining the terms we would use in that class um and again, I'm not coming at anybody, but I really have a problem with this language of underserved communities. That makes it sound like it's kind of like this, oh, un unfortunately, we underserved them. No, they have been economically targeted to not be successful. 
right? The laws that have been written, the redlining of the neighborhoods, the, the disinvestment, the, you know, all of that, the banking, like the predatory banking and lending schemes. These are targeted communities that have been intentionally targeted in many cases by Christians who do business. Mm. And mm. so, again, I think what we've got to figure out as the body of Christ is how do we make our way toward a just economic model? Mm. Because we're, we're past the point where, like, you're going to argue with somebody and tell them, like, Jesus loves you. And they're going to be like, oh, fantastic. Um, that right. might happen every once in a while. But what's really going on is people are like, all right, so, like, this Jesus y'all talking about, like, where was he when my home? Yes. Right. Like, this Jesus you're talking about, like. Does he care that little kids are getting shot in the hood? Does he care? Does he? For real, for real? Because, you know, he, I heard he got like a million people in the Twin Cities metro area, but I ain't seen none of them. Or when they come in, they come in with their diapers and their formula and stand and like take selfies with us. Like, what is that? Hmm. So I think the church, if it wants to be effective on mission in the future, it's got to give some very serious thought to what are the felt needs of the humans it wants to reach? so that those felt needs become the delivery system for the good news that Jesus actually mm. really loves them mm. and cares about them. And it can't just be about eternal life. Jesus wanted us to have life to the full right here, right now. So right. the question is, what does is, what is, what is life to the full, human flourishing, look like right here, right now? Churches, most churches, especially the ones outside of the city, they ain't asking that question. Wow. You know, you know Chris, um, there's a couple of things that you're saying, and I, and I think it ties back to, because a lot... A lot of churches, whether they're, they're inside the hood or outside the hood, sometimes I think they're asking the, the wrong question. And, and the, the question is, like, how do we the question that's been asked is how do we become self-sustainable? Like, how, how do we we as a church, how do we focus on ourselves? We're not we wouldn't say that. But how do we focus on ourselves so that we can ensure that we have salaries so that we can ensure that people are coming through the doors? And if I'm if I'm hearing you right. I'm hearing you say, hey, Myron, hey, the way things have been built is not just broken, it's actually built that way, which is act, which actually has an effect on the way that that churches are able to become or, or not become sustainable, like in the hood. So what like what are what are some banner? Who are some banner churches, banner churches that understand biblical justice, banner churches that understand that investment or bringing and executing justice can actually lead to the flourishing right of communities and then allow us to do what we do like so so who are some banner churches that you would say hey these are churches that i think you need to learn from these are churches that i think you need to really put an eye on so instead of calling out specific churches except for sanctuary covenant church which i love and attend and, it's, and except for mission mission church in uh mission church, church in north omaha um, let me, let me tell you a little bit about, um, a denomination and an organization. So Sanctuary Covenant Church is a part of the Evangelical Covenant Church. Now, no denomination is perfect, but boy, our denomination is working extremely hard to empower pastors of color, women. Um, it has a whole department called Love, Mercy, Do Justice that leans deeply into biblical justice. That's led by Reverend Dr. Cecilia Williams, who baptized my children back in the days. Hey. Um, I don't know, in my opinion, that you're going to find a denomination that's leaning in harder right now than the Evangelical Covenant Church, although there's good work going on in a lot of places. Now, this organization that Reverend Dr. Cecilia um, leads, Christian Community Development Association, 
That is a really interesting organization founded by Dr. John Perkins, made its way through the west side of Chicago, Lawndale, um, has now become an international coalition of justice-based churches and ministries. And the thing that I most love about CCDA is you actually get folks from both sides of the aisle. You get conservative Christians and liberal Christians and everything in between. And, you know, what ties them all together? They love Jesus and they know that Jesus loves justice. And if you can agree on those two points, let's roll. Mm. So the Evangelical Covenant Church is a denomination that I would hold up and Christian Community Development Association is an organization that I would hold up as two very, very strong justice-centric, Christ-centric organizations. Um, I, I just have a question. Um, overall, I just want to know the kind of response that you get when you talk about business, money, and investment, and mission and uh, evangelizing discipleship, when you marry the two, what is the usual feedback or response you get to that? Because I know that a lot of churches, especially uh, more traditional churches, shy away from talking about um, money. They shy away talking about business, especially bringing the two together. So in your experience of this, what um, kind of response do you get? That's a really fascinating question. I am of the opinion that uh, in this season of American history, the church is really trying to figure out how to, how to, how to do anything proper, right? Like the, the, the numbers tell the story, the giving numbers that, that Myron mentioned at the beginning tell the story. Um, you know, the number of people in America who claim to not love Jesus at all, or the ones, you know, who are identified in various studies to say that, but not actually really mean it. Like all of these things are data points that America is truly not. And, and in my opinion, has never been a Christian nation, right? So when you reach the conclusion that America is not now and has never been a Christian nation, you ask a different set of questions. Mm. It's not how are we going to go back to the good old days and, and make America Christian again. Mm. It's how are we going to get on mission and actually have an impact and expand their gospel's reach? And if you ask that question, that means that all options are on the table. In environments where, that, where all options are on the table, my message resonates deeply. Our message at Brown Venture Group resonates deeply. Um, in environments where people are still trying to like get back to the 50s and the 60s or maybe you know, to the pre-Civil War, <laughs> you know, this message is really, really challenging because if you talk about investing in people of color, folks that don't even believe CRT is a thing are like, shut your mouth. Mm. So again, back to the beginning, right? If you're going to talk about the church, you have to disaggregate. I think I get very disaggregated responses based on where churches are at um, in terms of their sociology and their theology. And what are some of those disaggregated responses? Um, I have not yet personally bumped into any black pastor who has not said what you're doing really matters. Keep it moving like you're, you're doing it right. Like we got you. Um, wow. I have bumped into several white pastors who are leaning in on racial justice, who have said, we love what you're doing. Keep it up. We're praying for you. I've run into some pastors of some white pastors and, and candidly a, a few non-white pastors who have said like, just preach the gospel, bro. Like what's all this business baloney? Like just preach the gospel. God will do okay. It. So, so, so let's, let's stick with that response right there, doc. So just preach the gospel. So the, our viewers may be thinking, what in the world are we talking about today? We're trying to build a foundation, an infrastructure that even allows us to have this conversation about finances. So 
when you hear that, when you hear just preach the gospel, right? Number one, what, what, what's being communicated? And then number two, what are we like, honestly, what are we missing when we say just preach the gospel? When we look and see something like you're doing, Minneapolis is working. God is doing incredible things. People are backing it, endorsing it. I mean, it's just crazy what God's doing. Like, what are they saying when they say just preach the gospel? And then like, what is your response to that? Other than be quiet. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a hard pill for a lot of American Christians to swallow. But when I hear the words just preach the gospel, my immediate thought is they don't have any idea what the gospel is. Mm. Right. If they think the gospel is just something you proclaim with your mouth and then, you know, you allow God to do the rest. Now, God has shown that he can do that, but I don't actually think that's what the Bible says. The Bible says make disciples. So, you know, if you're preaching the gospel, the goal of preaching the gospel should be to win and make disciples. You can't make disciples if you don't know the folks you're discipling, right? Like you can't make disciples if you're not making some sort of investment of time, talent, treasure into the folks you're discipling. And so I think what I hear when I hear just preach the gospel is I ain't trying to get my hands dirty. Um, that doesn't fit my little myopic view of American Christianity. Um, um, you know, and then, it, you know, when I get cynical, I hear things like, Okay, here comes an anti-CRT folk coming my way again, right? Like, here come here comes somebody who has never studied Black history in their life and doesn't want their kids to study it either, right? Here comes somebody who has never ever taken the time to sit down and lament with any person of color in America what has happened to people of color in America. Um, I was we had we had a, a crew in town the last couple of days in the Twin Cities filming the Brown Venture Group story from a, a university. And I, I found myself saying things that I'd been thinking internally that I had not yet said externally. And one of the things that I said to the film crew was, I cannot figure out why my brothers and sisters in Christ hate me. Wow. Like, why do white Christians hate Christians of color? That doesn't, if you're my family, how are you just going to hate me? But that's, that's how it feels when you hear these like responses that wow. like, I'm colorblind, you know, don't be talking about race. The gospel is not about race. Um, you know, we don't, have to, we don't have to get into Jews and Gentiles and all the things, right? Like, I just hear folks who refuse to lean in because maybe in their minds, they just have too much to lose. But in my view, they have everything to gain. Wow. Mm. Man, um, <laughs> that preached the gospel statement. Um, and Myron, you know a little bit about this from my... Uh, post on Facebook that went semi-viral last year in response to that particular statement. Um, when was that? I think it was like last Black History Month. Uh, I was in a group of church creatives and someone asked, actually it was an Asian lady that asked, hey, what are you guys doing for Black History Month? And a lot of the responses from the white pastors, uh, it was preach the gospel, Black History Month is divisive, Asian History Month is divisive. And so it is, just is, really, is white history year divisive. Come on now. <laughs> Come on. And we asked those questions like, well, wait a minute. You know, is this, uh, you know, when we're teaching white history or, you know, the European history, is that divisive? And there was crickets. And of course, that Bible verse of, you know, there's no male or female or and it's like, OK, we get it. You know, you're trying to dismiss it. So when I hear that statement of just preach the gospel, I automatically hear dismiss. 
Mm. You know, we, mm-hmm. we don't want to talk about race. We don't want to talk about racism in the church, segregation. And what you're saying is so powerful because it's helping this conversation move along of we have to address this. This is not something there's not going to be a white section of heaven or an Asian section of heaven. We're all going to be together. So we've got to figure it out here. Now, my question to you, I'm going to kind of go back to some things. Um, I am part of a church that is 91 years old uh, in Philly. I am their media and communications director. And so I do have a hand in some of the evangelism aspects, but they're not very big on that. And we're in West Philly. We're actually in the neighborhood uh, where Will Smith grew up and famously got beat up uh, on the playground. And so born and raised, born and raised. (laughs) Exactly. And my bishop actually went to school with him. So I'm like, okay, we are in a prime spot. You know, they came out with the reboot of Bel Air. You know, everybody's like West Philly. Yeah. But our church wants to stay inside the four walls. And, you know, some of us that are younger, like we got to go out. So how do I, as a millennial, convince the older generation? Really, our church is predominantly Generation X. We've got a few boomers in there, but it's mostly Generation X. How do I convince Generation X, hey, we have to get out? And how do I help them feel comfortable with getting out without passing out tracks <laughs> and doing the traditional stuff? That's a, that's a really great question. Uh, being deeply embedded in Generation X, raised in the 80s, listening to Michael Jackson and all of them. Um, I understand the way that our generation thinks. And, you know, Generation X is a, is a sandwich generation. There's 80 million in the generations on either side of us. We're 40 million um, or somewhere around those numbers. Um, there's been a lot of research on Generation X. I've read a lot of that research. Generation X, uh, because we are a smaller generation, number one, the folks above us never retired. Right. And then the next generation underneath us was like, bump y'all like we want leadership now. So Generation X is, feels like this forgotten generation. I think with our generation, it's really challenging when younger leaders come and try to tell us what needs to happen. And, and we're like, well, wait a minute, like we haven't even gotten a chance to lead yet because like mm-hmm. the 75 year old bishop re- refuses to retire. And when they do retire, they stay on as like some sort of like pastor emeritus and actually don't even turn over the church. Right. Um, Mm. Or the business. I know several business leaders who their parents are in their 60s and 70s and refuse to let go of the mantle. Uh, The same is true in the economic sector with donor advised funds, right? Like the oldest generation takes all the family money, puts it into these funds specifically so that the kids and grandkids can't mess it up, right? Um, So to answer your question directly, I don't know that you're going to be able to convince anybody of much of anything. Mm. Or you're going to have to find a person of peace among our generation that's going to talk to their peers. What you may need to do is just be the church and build the thing and be the thing. (laughs) Um, And I'm not taking anything away from pastors and leaders that have labored hard for decades and, you know, have held down that 91-year-old church in that neighborhood where things can get challenging. But at some point, every leader needs to have the humility to say, Man, it's, wow. time, it's time for some new wineskins. Mm. That's that's such an interesting question, um, especially when it comes to a new movement or idea of thinking when it comes to church. 
one of the most important things is how um, that movement or that new way of thinking is communicated. And I think sometimes a barrier amongst generations can be the communication and the lack of understanding. So my question is to you is because you've, you've spoken so much today about, um, you know, all these amazing gems and, and the movement that you're involved in and you're an expert in this space. So my question is about how you disciple in this space and what is, um, what is a way of getting everything from up here in an expert level to a lay person? So how is the way, like, what is like the one minute way you would communicate your way of thinking when it comes to this investment and um, church innovation what is the way that you'd communicate it to a lay person that has never heard this um, concept before, but wants to be a part of it and wants to speak to the next person or their peer, but doesn't have any expertise? How would they communicate? Mm. Good question. So if the goal is to replace human suffering with human flourishing, including the, including the message of Jesus Christ, um, the question becomes, what is the methodology to actually do that, Right. Uh, yeah. I would say that my posture is I do my very, very best to take a human centered approach to everything I do, right? Like people are greater than everything else. Um, so that's the philosophy, but the methodology, right? One coffee at a time, one conversation at mm -hmm. a time. When I'm able to influence a room of people, I will absolutely do that. If I can jump on a podcast and reach thousands, fantastic. But, you know, the reality is Jesus didn't have a podcast. I mean, some wow. might say that the Bible was his ultimate podcast, but, you know, at the time, Jesus had 12 people that he poured mm -hmm. the most critical years of his life into. And so I think one of the things that the American church needs to wake up to is like, we got to get back to like a life on life, human centered way of Come doing on. this thing, right? It, it can't be, by the way, Myron knows this. Uh, I'm going to get myself in a little bit of trouble. I'm just going to say that in advance. This whole like, ultra focus on the metaverse. Okay. I get it. Like we invest, right? Like I'm watching pitches about the metaverse all the time. You never have to actually touch another human in the metaverse. Mm. Um, I think we have to be really, really careful. And, and my cynicism, you know, getting back to the methodology, my cynicism is, is this focus on the metaverse, the new way to avoid going to the hood. What boy? Sir, hey, I can say things maybe y'all can't because your podcast host. So you know, I'm. I'm, I'm hey, here hey we can say we can say anything we want to say on this podcast. <laughs> I think they'll forgive me. Um, I think you. I think you're bringing up something because like I don't know a lot of cats in my section, and I know a lot of families in the hood. They don't. They don't have. They can't afford an Oculus. Ain't that that ain't even Oculus? What? Mm -hmm. You know, so like. Bro, we got to have you back on because we need to like really, really talk about that because. Uh, yeah, man, we got to have you back on like tomorrow Look, or something. It used to be let's jump on airplanes and fly over brown people to reach brown people. Yeah. Now it's let's jump on the Internet and avoid people to, to engage mm. people like it's a really strange formula. Yeah. You know, um, Dr. Brooks, I love this definition, replace human suffering with human flourishing and. And one of the things I find, you know, I've, I probably how, how long I've been out the penitentiary since 2008. And one phenomenon that I have seen is there are tons of leaders that have, quote unquote, left the church to start something new. And 
I think we often miss out on those apostolic prophetic leaders who have been heralding a message such as you. You've been heralding this biblical justice message for a long time. I've been learning, bro. I've been learning from you. I feel like it's been forever. Um, but what like what can church leaders do to not miss out on opportunity or leaders who have a heart to say, I want to see like I want to see communities flourish. I want to see suffering in like what do pastors and leaders really have to do? to position themselves to be ready for leaders like you who do have a vision for human flourishing. That really comes from the king, the king himself. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, I would say the, the, the thing that's missing from many of the conversations, many of the churches, um, many of the leaders is humility. And what is the definition of humility? Consider others better than yourself. It's simple and it's biblical. Mm. And if, if you can't consider others better than yourself, how is it ever going to be true that if one part suffers, every part suffers with it? If one part rejoices, every part rejoices with it, right? Like, if you don't consider others better than yourself, you ain't got time for none of that, right? Like, us two and mm. we're through, man. We're chilling out in this crib. Life is good. We, you know, we get to take a vacation every year or maybe two or three times a year. Um, you know, we got our Trader Joe's down the street. I can stop at Starbucks and pick up my coffee, the kid's school is three blocks that way, and it's a highly rated school. I mean, if we truly had humility to consider others better than ourselves, we would ask ourselves what Jeffrey Canada asked in the movie Waiting for Superman. Mm. What is our responsibility to other people's children? Mm. But I can't seem to get very many churches, especially ones outside of the hood, to ask that question. Wow. Oh, my Lord. You know, go ahead, Jen. Go ahead, Jen. I know you, uh, Jen, I, Jen just sent me a backstage, a backstage statement. She says, I'm sitting here trying my best and I have a Baptist fit. <laughs> and I was born and raised Kojic, but I Come have on. adapted my ways. <laughs> Listen, because I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. So one of the things that I have been kind of working on and proposing is for our church, since we are in the hood, to have a STEM program that we do during the week so that the kids that are in the neighborhood can come to the church, learn computer skills, learn graphics and things like that. I mean, I'm a mom and, you know, I'm an entrepreneur as well. And so I see that these are the fields that are going to be um, continuously growing, especially in the, in the future. And I want black and brown children to have a piece of the pie and be able to succeed and pass on these skills to others. So my question to you is how do, how do we bring our children in? How do we start conditioning them to think beyond the nine to five and, and, you know, the struggle, because obviously when you're in the hood, you see these parents that are going through and they know like, okay, struggle, hustle. And they think, well, I got to sell drugs to get out or I got to, you know, do something illegal to get out. So how can we start having initiatives in our churches that will show children, Hey, you don't have to do anything illegal. You don't have to go through that prison pipeline to figure out a better purpose for your life, but you can start here at age 10. We can teach you how to do some entrepreneurship, how to do skills and, and things that you would, uh, be able to do online and make money from at a young age. All right, Jen. So we don't know each other very well. Uh, please don't <laughs> slap me through the screen. Why do we have to get the kids to come to the church building? Mm. Why can't we get the church folks to go to where the kids are at? 
right? Like, why can't mm. we work mm. with our public school system to set up a room after school where a bunch of wisdom generation mentors come in and just help kids be successful? Why can't we leverage the YMCA or the Boys and Girls Club or whatever's in your neighborhood, right? Like, mm. I think one of the great challenges we've got in, in, in America, and, you know, I, one of the great ch- challenges we've got, especially with traditional older churches, is it seems as though at the end of every sentence is what at the church, in the church, at the church, in the church. Um, I would like us to just consider that it should be by the church or with the uh. church, right? Um, if we want to get them eventually to the building, they first need to want to be around us because the building is old and raggedy and they ain't going to want, that's not going to hold them, right? They're going to want to be around the person that helped me read, the person that helped me code, wow. the person that helped me understand what a savings account is, the person who cared what happened to my mama yesterday, mm. right? Though that what, what young people need, what, what communities need, regardless of age, is they need people who are in proximity and take a human-centered approach, not a building-centered approach. Mm. I, I'm, at, I'm not judging you, Jen. I promise I'm not. No, you know what? Because you do bring up a good point because in the Black church specifically, mm. we are always concerned about getting them into the building and not so much us going out and being influential outside of that. And I'm noticing even when you said that, I was like, ooh, my mindset has Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been I've been slipped into the 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 whole thing of let's get them in let's if we get them in and it's no we do have to go out and we do have to be about our father's business in these communities and then once they see us like you said they will come and even if they don't come they still have a connection because they know us mm-hmm. and if we show the light of is, if a young person is in a room full of Christians they are in the church preach wow come on man and if they're in a room full of christians that have a little bit of gray hair they're in the council of elders what could i want more for my children than to be surrounded by a council of elders wow that's good stuff that's good you know i think jen to your to your question and doc to your to your point that's the reason why we're having this conversation sometimes to to say, hey, how are we going to keep the lights on or 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 those contemporary questions of like, how are we going to fund fund salaries or how are we going to do what we need to do? And I think the mindset and the heart of um, I'm here to invest, you know, like I'm, I'm so deeply connected into my hood. And, and, and one of the things I've heard people say, like, like, say, I ain't seen nobody in like six months. Right. And the, but the first thing they always say, they they be like, yo, what's good, Pastor Myron? And and then if they with somebody, they're gonna be, they be like, that's my pastor. And in my mind, I'm like, you old nappy head heifer. I ain't seen you in six months and I'm your pastor. And honestly, man, just to a couple months ago, the Lord said, why have you reduced your influence to a geography when I've called you to a parish? When I've called you to to pastor shepherd influence a, a a bigger geography other than you know other than your address and i was just with one of my guys who who we released i don't know maybe four years back to start a new work in the hood and one of the things that they're doing they invested 15 racks into a um into a transport vehicle the type the type you you pull up at the the airport and they shuttle you everywhere 
where he they they flip this shuttle and, and it's it's called like this kind of mobile hope deal now. And and what they're doing is so dope because they're investing in the community and they're treating it like a parish. They're treating like he, he's their their team is treating it like, hey, we know COVID politics, uh, race has not just recently ruptured the world, but like right now. And so people are not coming. The, the reality is that they're not coming. And so that revelation, along with like what my guy is doing, has just helped me to really see even more like the importance of mission beyond. And, and so before we land, I know we have about 10 minutes left, but can you can you maybe tell us a story about what God is doing in your space? I, I feel like we need to be encouraged. I feel like you as a leader, we need to hear from leaders like you about what God is doing so that it can not only inform our like our our methodology, our philosophy, but really our theology. I think our theology need to be reformed. So what is God doing in your space that's that's worth talking about that we need to hear? So I'm going to start with the previous thread and sort of bridge my way to your question. Um, my Bible teaches me that God is omnipresent. We function as though he's church building present. Mm. We, we got we to start thinking differently about how we set limits and put, put God in a box, right? God's walking down the halls of the local elementary school. God's on the corner where they're shooting dice. If he's omnipresent. So uh, I would believe that God would want his people in all of those places. Now, you can't just, you know, walk up into, on the corner of people shooting dice if you don't know the deal, right? Like, you got to be equipped, you know, contextually and, and culturally to do the work. But I do believe right. that we just need a different think, need We need different thinking around that. Um, what's happening in our space. So I'm going to cast some vision for you all based on what I actually see on the actual ground. We were told when we started our investment firm that we were not going to find investable entrepreneurs. People ask us questions like, are black people investable? Are indigenous people investable? Um, every time we talk to almost any um, potential LP, the question gets asked, um, so are you going to have enough deals? And, you know, the, the entrepreneurs that you serve, like, are they going to need financial literacy classes to, like, handle the money that you're going to invest in them? All of that has proven to be the most untrue stuff mm. ever, ever. Uh, we have in our, our funnel of potential deals to invest in, we have over 1,200 deals right now. Over 1,200. We had our analysts look at those deals. Our analysts told us that 10 to 20%, maybe a little bit more than 20% are actually good deals. If we had 5X the money that we're raising right now, we couldn't invest in all of those deals. Opportunity abounds, y'all. Wow. And this leads to actually the point I want to make. The mm. world's changing faster than anybody thinks, right? Uh, I spend a lot of my time right now actually engaging with the African continent and the African diaspora. There's, an, there's a brand new global economy rising in Africa, y'all. And mm. it's not going to be dependent on this Western white supremacist economy. It's going to be its own thing. Africa will eventually once again own Africa and people can come stop coming in and gobbling up all the resources and all the things, right? Like the world's changing very fast. And here's what's exciting. God's omnipresent. Wow. I keep running into Christian business people and Christian investors and Christian leaders and Christian heads of state, everywhere I go. Wow. Everywhere I go, but disproportionately more in developing nations. Wow. You, you sent me a, uh, a text the other day uh, um, about that, that event that's coming up. I, I'd like our audience to, to tap into that. Tell us 
uh, what that is. And then uh, we'll have, I think we'll have Jen ask you a final question and, and then, uh, and then Jay to take it from there. Yeah. So the event that you are referencing is the Emergent Africa Forum. And I believe the website is emergentafricaforum.com, if I'm not mistaken. It's an event that will be held here in the Twin Cities metro area. It's a partnership primarily between Brown Venture Group, the firm that I lead, and the African Chamber of Digital Commerce, which is led by a Nigerian brother named Eric Kaigama. Uh, The purpose of the conference is to really expose to the world how much activity there is within Africa and the African diaspora related to things like investment, the metaverse, Mm. um, blockchain, crypto, right? Uh, There are African entrepreneurs and African banks and African thought leaders that are pacing themselves with the rest of the world on this. It's just that nobody ever talks about it. Right. So that event will be potentially a few thousand people from all over the world. We anticipate having several heads of state from African nations at that event. Um, of course, you know, your boy is going to be a plenary speaker at that event. And I'm going to bring hey, a little hey. bit of brand new fire to the stage. And, um, you know, the world's changing fast. And I think one of the great pains of my heart is that certain parts of the American church refuse to admit it. Therefore, they refuse to participate in what, you know, I would call a revival. Right. I think there's a revival going on and the church is missing it for the most part. So um, if, if you're a person of faith who loves business and especially somebody who's in, interested in like the cutting edge of business, the metaverse, crypto, blockchain, like this would be an excellent opportunity for you to come understand this global economy that is rising and, and will prevail. That is awesome. I know I'm going to be checking it out uh, because I definitely love to be on the cutting edge. So my last question and what we're going to round out with is what advice would you give for church leaders in this next season? Mm. What advice? So uh, you're talking about the aggregated church, the disaggregated church? You know, I, I would say to the leaders that are trying to lead into the next, you know, the post-pandemic leaders, the ones that have stayed the course and we're trying to figure out where is the church going next? What do we do or how do we lead in this next season? It seems to me that there is a lot of activity and attention and investment going into where, it, where, where God doesn't seem to be uh, as, as active or, you know, there doesn't seem to be the same results that there used to be. Let's put it that way. And a lot less investment going into places where like things are hopping and popping, right? So my advice to the next generation of church leaders would be find out where God is doing some amazing things Mm. and lean in, right? Now, the challenge is going to be you might have to check some of that racial bias and some of that other stuff at the door. Um, If you are able to do that, you are going to be a part of one of the most important Mm. radical moves of God in the history of the earth. Come on, man. Africa, the other developing nations, the places where colonialism came in and did its worst, those places are in love with Jesus. Wow. And and faith is rising and hope is rising and black and brown power is rising. Period. Amen. Amen. So, um, Marvin, Jennifer, do you have any last questions before we land this plane i have 30 questions that i will (laughs) that i will text chris after (laughs) i do have one question i need a backstage pass man i'm just to that today emerging african forum man (laughs) 
<laughs> at least a, a homie deal or something. That's all I got. That's all I got, Jay. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm our, our organization is, you know, the co-sponsor of it, right? It's us in the African chamber. So, you know, I might be able to make a little something, something happen. I, I will hold you to that. Cities. I'm just saying. <laughs> nice. no. So, um, Dr. Books, is there any um, last things that you want to leave the people with? Um, where can they find you? What else do you have coming up and what should people be looking out for? So my social media handles are all Chris B. Brooks with two B's in the middle, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, I got off of Twitter because that was recently acquired and I'm no longer interested, but um, that's how you find me. Uh, I live a very visible public life. I, I don't have time to educate the whole world one-on-one. So you know, if folks want to reach out to me and have like an hour long conversation, your boy's raising capital and probably doesn't have time for that. But um, I do care deeply. So if there are opportunities for me to speak to groups or, or speak at conferences or that sort of thing, I will definitely make time for that. My one on one conversations are mostly in my own hood because I believe in parish. That's and good. Right now, despite the fact that the murder of George Floyd is sort of the defining characteristic of our metro area right now, like the Twin Cities is rising and there's a black and brown ecosystem that is highly energized and very excited and things are about to change around here. So that, that's how you find me. What I would leave with the, the listeners is lean in. Mm. Whether that's doing, going to a book study or you know, switching churches to a church that's more diverse, like whatever you figure out a way to lean in. I love that. You got to lean in because God is at work and things are exciting. And I don't want any Christian to miss it. Come on, man. Amen. Well, thank you so much, um, Chris Brooks, for joining us. Um, Remember to get at him on his social media handles, Chris B. Brooks, um, apart from Twitter, because he's not on there anymore. (laughs) And remember to go over to his website, um, brownventuregroup.com. And also for the event that's coming up, emergentafricanforum.com. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you again, Dr. Brooks. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leadership Network podcast and joining the conversation for what is next for the church and its leaders. We look forward to connecting with you as we bring our questions, contribute our wisdom, and pursue what is next. Visit leadnet.org for more resources, information about leader cohorts, and more. That is leadnet.org.